You're listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Georgetown. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com. All right. Well, good morning to all of you. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to be in Romans 8 again today, and we have one more sermon after that next week. So. Uh, I hope that you've been encouraged by this. It's certainly been an encouragement to my heart. We describe it as the greatest chapter in the Bible. That's a pretty big statement. Uh, But once you start reading it, you find all these great anchor truths that are so life-giving, so rooting to your soul. What I mean by that is like the, the massive giant redwoods out in Northern California, the root system is supposedly just this amazing, beautiful thing that is so intricate, so deep, and so incredible that it's more incredible under the ground than it is above the ground. These tap roots run so deep that any storm or any drought will have no effect on them because they sink so deep. Well, the Christian life is similar to that. The deeper the roots, the more vibrant the plant, right? The deeper the roots in Christ, the more vibrant your faith in Christ. I don't know about you, but like when you go into my backyard right now, we are fighting to keep those plants alive. Forget about flowering, we just want them to survive. And we've noticed that the ones that have, that are well planted and, and deeply planted, they're doing okay. The ones that weren't very well planted and very well rooted, they're not going to make it. And so, my hope and my prayer for you is that you can somehow forget that you're surrounded by a group of people this morning. Uh, I don't want to diminish the fact that we're a body, but I want you to listen closely for what God wants to say to your heart this morning. For the things that are uniquely spoken from the Word of God and the Spirit of God into your hearts this morning because He knows you. As, as Pastor Michael said, He knows where you're at. He knows what's going on with you. Your, your regrets, your hopes, your fears, all of that are more well-known to Him than they are to yourself. And so as the Word of God is preached this morning, I want to invite you to listen well and ask the Spirit of God, let me hear your voice today. Let me hear you as you speak. Uh, From Romans chapter 8, and this is something uh, that I, I just want you to let it kind of wash over you as you hear these words. Listen to these words from uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 31 on down through uh, 34. It says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And this is the word of God. Let me pray and ask God to help us to hear his voice. Father, we are grateful to be together this morning. A sum online and Some of us just here in this room together, Redeemer Georgetown, the church that was in your mind from eternity past that you have brought into existence. 
and you've held us together and you have a future that only you know about how you intend to uh, speak life and truth into the people that live in this area through this church. God, this morning we want to invite you to speak to us. We want you to say with words that only you can say, we want you to speak to each heart. There are things that are broken in us. There are things we're afraid of in the future. There are things that we regret from the past. Lord God, you know better than we do. So teach us what is true about what Jesus has done for us, about what Jesus is doing right now for us, and about the beautiful, wonderful, amazing hope that is in front of us because of what Jesus has done. I pray that you speak life and encouragement to those whose hearts are so weary today. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you've heard the name of Florence Chapman. Maybe you haven't. When I tell this story, some of you are like, oh yeah, I know that. She's the one who in 1952 swam from the coast of California to Catalina Island. Well, she tried to at first, and it didn't work. She had swam for 15 hours. And she didn't know where she was at because a fog had settled on the ocean at that time. She didn't know where she was at. And she pleaded with them, I'm done, I can't do this. I can't go any further. Her mom was in one of the boats and said, if you can go a little bit further, if you can just go a little bit further, you're so close. She finally said, I can't do it, I'm done. She was a half a mile away from completing that swim. And they, when they got her out of the water, and she was so emotionally, physically exhausted, she said, I think if all I, if I could finally, if I just could have seen the shoreline, I could have made it, but all I could see was the fog. I, if I had known that it was that close, I could have kept going. Well, this morning, I want you to know that life is short. We live in a broken world, in a broken body, with a broken perspective, and yet we have a captain and a king who has completed what was necessary for us to be right with Heavenly Father, with our God in heaven. And outside of Him, there's no way that we could make it, but in Him, we can continue to journey onward and forward through the fog, through the difficulty, through the discouragement. And we need truths like what you find in Romans chapter 8 to help us keep going when we want to just give up. There's no telling how close we are to that shoreline. We may be closer than we imagine. We certainly are closer than we imagine. And for some of you, you will live to be a ripe old age and you will die in your bed surrounded by loved ones. And for some of you, it will be a surprise of, I didn't see that coming and now here I am in glory. But either way, it's short. So I want these truths in Romans 8 to be like an anchor helping you move forward. Paul says in verse 31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Paul almost in verse 31 is with his shoulder shrug going, how do you think I should respond to something like this? These things. So Paul is pointing backwards to what Michael had preached last week about the golden chain of salvation. After hearing that, I several times through the week just thought, I just want to, I want to know more about that, that process that's described that Michael preached on last week. 
Those he foreknew, he predestined. And those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. You hear the, the past tense in those, right? That this was the sovereign hand of God before the foundation of the earth. Read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, and you'll see it. That God had chosen before there was uh, a garden of Eden with, Noah, with Adam, and before there was Noah and the flood, before there was Abraham and the promise, before there was Moses and the law, before there was David and the covenant, before there were the prophets calling the nation back, before there was Jesus born in that manger, before there was uh, the beautiful sacrifice made on the cross that day and the resurrection three days later, before that, in the 2,000 years of history, before all of that, God knew you and knew everything. There's no part of you and no part of your story that was unknown to him when he decided to predetermine your destination. Nothing, nothing was hidden from him when he decided to save you. He had full knowledge of what he was doing. And he determined the destination before you ever arrived. Now that, that gives us peace, right? That's an anchoring. That's a... You chose me long before the creation of the world. Eternity passed. Why would you do that? What I know of me makes me think I'm not that lovable. He's like, yeah, but see, I know something more than that. I know what my son has done for you. And so I predetermined your destination before you ever arrived. And then the call. The effectual call that came our way. You know, I was born in 1969. It's crazy. That sounds old to me now. Summer of 69. Doesn't sound so old to some of you. Okay, well, I, I could have been at Woodstock. I mean, I would have been a little diaper-wearing fellow, but I could have been there. I could have, that, like, the call of God came into my life. I started to hear His voice, that effectual call that He speaks about in that golden chain of salvation. I started hearing that when I was in fourth grade. I, I knew that God was calling me to himself. I went forward at church camp one summer. I prayed a prayer that they told me to pray. I cried and I asked God for forgiveness. I took my kiss posters down when I got home back to Salina. Some of you are like, what's a kiss poster? <coughs> Look it up on the internet. It's fun. So I took those down, which was my form of repentance. And I don't know what happened. I, mean, I walked away from the Lord. All I can say is that somehow the fire that was burning there just burned out. I still would talk to the Lord at night, but I just wasn't actively walking with Him. And I started into just a real season of rebellion in my life. Junior high, high school, I mean, it's just rebellion. And a couple of months before I graduated, that call from eternity past started to weigh on my soul again. And I felt the Lord's pursuit of me. For months, I would say, before I finally bowed my knees in front of him, I felt him calling out to me, as if drawing me to himself, like this divine magnet that was pulling me towards him. And it, here's what it felt like physically. I felt something empty here. I kept holding this part of my chest, thinking something's not right. Something's just not right. And I couldn't put a finger on it, because I had, I think it was, it was a 1985 uh, Firebird at the time, which was a nice car. I was so pleased with my car. Come on, I got a nice car. Friends, girlfriend, 
girlfriend, money, that I had a job that I loved. And so, you know, like, why on earth would I feel anything but happy right now? The effectual call of God from eternity past was reaching out to me. And whether I got saved in fourth grade or whether I got saved as a senior in high school, I don't really know. I suspect I was saved in fourth grade and it, it, it just didn't let go of me. But the truth is, from eternity past, he had called my name. It showed up to me in real time, fourth grade and senior year, but God had already made that decision. He had called. And here's something awesome. Then he justified me. Now this is so good because justified, if, if you're on trial for your life, and, and the jury comes back and the judge is gonna read what the jury has said, the thing you wanna hear is not guilty, right? This is better than not guilty. This is better than innocent. You were found righteous. <laughs> Forgiven completely and also declared righteous. Like a legal gavel fell that day and declared you righteous. That's what justified means. You're not just innocent. You're not just forgiven. You are declared righteous because of Jesus. And then glorified. Glorified. Like if we wanted to glorify somebody, what would we do? How would we do it? Well, in Christ, we've been glorified. We've been given the stature and the rights and the privilege. We've been given the love and the affection of the Father through Jesus. And someday we will see what glorified really means. But it's all past tense. And Paul, what does he say? What shall we say to these things? If even a cursory understanding of these truths would make you say, how am I supposed to respond to this? How, thank you seems a little insufficient. Thank you for that. I mean, it's a good start, but it's not like you just won the lottery here. It's substantially greater than that. And so Paul says this, how should we respond to these things? It's too much. It's too good. It's too rich. And when I forget these truths, when I drift from these truths, when I lay them aside, I tend to lose perspective in life. I, I start to measure things wrongly. Do you know what I mean by that? You start making a big deal out of something that's not a big deal. Sure, in the moment it's a big deal. It's, it's an inconvenience. It's an attack on your heart. It's something. But you start to measure that as really, really big. Life crushing, soul crushing. Well, not compared to these things. And so what I'm hoping is that as you hear all these past tense words that are adjectives now describing you and me in Christ, that your roots would just run deep into Him. That it will sustain you through whatever difficulties are coming your way. It will sustain you to keep moving when you want to quit. It will sustain you to stand still when you want to run away. It will sustain you when you start to believe the lie that God is not for you. Did you see the next verse or the next part of that? What can you say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You ever, had, you ever I want you to think of the person right now that if you had to say, that person's for me. Who comes to mind? I know, like for me, I've been blessed in my life that God has made it. And almost every season of my life, I'm able to make good friends. 
People that I would say that if I was in a pinch, they're for me. I, I think of my grandmother on my mom's side. Uh, she was no wallflower. She was always ready to go. She was just a hard, she came out of the depression era. She was a hard worker and she would not let someone take advantage of someone weaker than them. I mean, if she saw it, heard it, gossiped, if she saw somebody get mistreated, she would stand up. This little old lady who worked on a dairy farm when she was a little girl, she, tough as nails, right? She was always for me. Grandma Banks, Zelma Banks. You get to meet her in heaven someday. Oh, she was wonderful. But she was for me. She was so for me that if she had to correct me, she, she would. I one time said pass the ice cream at a picnic table, and she snapped her head towards me, grabbed me by the hand, and marched me over to wash my mouth out with soap. I'm like, what did I do? What did I do? Well, she didn't hear pass the ice cream. She heard something else. <laughs> to this day, I, I can only guess what she thought she heard me saying, but Grandma would not have me cussing. Like, I, I didn't cuss. My mom was for me. Michael is for me. My wife is one of the most loyal people you'll ever meet. She is for me, right? Wouldn't you love it if you were on trial for your life and your eternity? You came in and you found that the judge was your loving person that you just thought of that's for you. You'd go, oh, golly. Praise God that it's you that's going to make this decision about my future. Because you're for me. Right? Please, friends, God is for you. Do you know that? He's not against you. He's not hoping that you screw up so you can go, ah, you know, you saw this coming. <coughs> Come on up. Pretty frustrated with you. You're not living up to who I wanted you to be, so I'm going to smite you. No, he's for you. He is for you. I just want you to sit with that for a moment and thank him for it. That he's better than your best friend. He's better than your greatest uh, fan. He's better than the spouse that you would hope to have or be. He's better than your best uh, kid. He's better than any of that. He's for you. Completely 100% for you. And if he's for you, who can be against you? You know, it feels like a rhetorical question because Paul does this question and answer thing, right? Where he asks these questions all the way through these passages. He's asking questions because he's trying to make you think. And is it just a rhetorical question like, if God is for you, who can be against you? Slow down and answer the question. Slow down and think, is there anybody with the kind of stature and the kind of authority, the kind of power that with God's for me, I'm still kind of worried about that person? Kind of freaked out because that person's got a lot of money and that person's got a lot of clout, a lot of strength. Or... Okay, just name the person that if God is for you, this person still has any merit to attack. Logically, you're going you're gonna to see it quickly. Doesn't matter who's against me if God's for me. God is for me. God is for you. There is rest in that. 
go back to the idea of the giant redwoods. That's a root that runs deep into some good water. And on your worst day, when you're frightened, when you're worried, when the whole world feels like it's against you, and, and, and that's usually a lie too. It's usually two people, maybe three. Right? It feels like everybody, okay, but you're, you're conflating something. You're making it bigger. You're measuring it wrong. And in that moment, you start to, to, to see things wrongly and get more panicked. God is for you. So who can be against you? Now, I want you to know that what's coming up in verse 32, warning. Michael, you mentioned this. It's a coffee mug verse. Now, what that means is it's so good that it's quoted by itself out of its context alone that it often can be misunderstood. It's just so good that people quote it by itself. But I want you to see it in the midst of this passage. After saying, what should we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? He goes further. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Some relationships are more costly than others, right? Like we get that. We have friendships that you have to be a little more sacrificial in this friendship than that one. That one's fun. That one's easy. That one's, you know, but this one, okay, it's, it's, it's going to be more work. If you don't know what I'm talking about, get in the gospel community. You'll figure it out real quick. Amen. <laughs> You're going to have to give and receive grace. You're going to have to exchange forgiveness with people. Or you can live on an island by yourself and never risk anything. Okay, but some relationships cost more than others. What did it cost for God to save us? The son. He, he heard the cost of our salvation. It was expensive. It was, it was sacrificial. Well, what was the price tag that was on? You ever picked up something in a store and tried not to show that you were shocked how much it cost? You ever done that where you went, just leave that right there? Or someone's talking. You go, well, okay, well, how much did that cost? And then, and then they say, you know, $20,000 you got. And all you want to do is play like you're not poor, right? We were expensive. Heaven's highest gift was not held back for our salvation. The highest and best of heaven was Jesus the Son. Is Jesus the Son? And it was not withheld. He did not spare His own Son. But he gave them up for us. Gosh. I just want you to know, like, if you're, if you're going, well, I mean, yeah, gold chain and all that, that's, that's super encouraging, I guess. But the truth is, I'm face down in the mud right now. What about now? I mean, you're saying that I should be all jazzed up and fired up and all that about the golden chain of salvation. And good, but I'm hurting right now. You know what Paul says? Hey, he did despair heaven's highest and best, his own son. How will he not also with him give us all things? God is not stingy. Sometimes we get fixed on what we don't have that we wanted. And by not having that, our whole world is ruined. I didn't get this and I wanted this. And now that I don't have this, my gosh, God, are you even good? And, 
And we've forgotten, we've measured things wrongly when we get away from the gospel. You know why I so want gospel friendships in my life, gospel family, I'm willing to fight for that? It's because I want someone like you to remind me of what is true, or I'll forget it, and I'll start measuring things really badly. Pretty soon I'll get mad at you. Because you might be the reason I don't feel God is good to me right now. Because you aren't doing this or that for me. And, and you see what I'm saying? If God has not held back His Son, He did not spare His own Son, but He gave Him graciously for us, how will He not also give us all things? Now there's two ways I want you to hear this. One is this. You're only getting, in Christ, when you got saved, you were getting the down payment. Guess what? The rest of it's coming. The rest of it's coming. He's going to give you everything. All of it's yours, yours, yours because of Christ. If you don't have it right now, you don't have that thing right now, trust me, there is an eternity forever and ever that is waiting for you that is physical, touchable, realized blessing of God that is coming your way. If you don't have it now, all things are graciously going to be given to you. You will have what you need. You will have beyond your wildest dreams all things because heaven's highest gift has already been given for you. So, because there's a resurrection coming, I can live on this earth. I can keep swimming towards that shoreline, not knowing because of the fog. When and how, this isn't what I want right now, but the day is coming when all things will be given to me because Christ has been given to me. We are co-heirs with Christ. You may not have every luxury and preference and everything you want now. In fact, you'll be called to lay those things down, but it's worth laying them down. So that you can know Christ more deeply, have Christ more deeply. Listen, the day will come when you see streets of gold and mansions with your name on and all that. I think that's all true. I think it's great. The greatest gift will still be Jesus. Knowing Him, sharing Him, having Him deep in your heart, deep in your life. Your deepest, truest friend. So, that's one way of seeing and understanding this verse. God did not spare His Son. So He's going to give you the rest in His way and His time. But you know what else? There's another way of seeing this verse. If you don't have what you want right now, God is doing exactly what you need right now. Someone told me this when I was in a valley one time. Our friend Mark Burgundy. Mark Bergen is mythical in our minds because he's another pastor friend of ours that uh, had a unique gift. I don't know how to describe it. He just had a way of getting at things. Probably, probably the only living Puritan I've ever met is Mark Bergen. Love the guy. But anyway, Mark said to me in the midst of the valley one time, Robert, if you don't have something that you want right now, you want relief from a, a trial, and God hasn't given it. This is perfect. This is God graciously pouring out His grace on you right now in the midst of this valley. If God knows the perfect mix of tears and laughter at this season of your life to conform you into the image of His Son, then He has mixed perfectly your tears and laughter right now. If you don't have something, if God has said no to something you want, if God is seemingly not changing these things that you've asked Him to change, it's because He's perfectly loving you through this. 
I'm not wanting you to hear that it's easy or that I, that I make light of any way of your suffering, but your suffering in the hands of a wise and loving God is not because He's stingy or because He's unmoved. If He's given His Son for us, He'll give us everything we need, including valleys, including mountain peaks. He'll give us difficulties. He'll give us joys. He'll give us laughter. He'll give us tears because He gives us all things that are necessary on this journey. He didn't withhold His Son. He won't withhold what you need. He's gracious. And, and it was a hard truth for me to realize that my prayers for about three months were, God, make this stop. I want this to stop. I want you to stop the circumstances that are breaking me right now. I just, I couldn't understand. If you love me, why are you letting this happen? Like if I love somebody, I would never let this happen. I kept thinking, but don't, don't allow this. I mean, deep to the point where I didn't go 20, 30 seconds without a prayer that sounded like, God, please help me. You ever been there? It hurts. And then it came to me on a moment in prayer one day, God, I'm going to quit asking you to take this away, and I'm going to ask you, leave me in this until you've killed whatever it is that needs to die in me. Let me stop being transactional with you. Meaning, you give me what I want, I'll worship you. You change these circumstances and I'll be happy. You give me this and I'll stop. No, God, leave me here until you give me you. Because if he didn't withhold his only son, he'll give me everything I need. And if right now what I need is this challenge and this suffering, then God, let me have you in the midst of this. And that's a, it's kind of a scary thing to pray, but it's really not. He didn't spare his son, so he's generous. He's good. He'll give me everything I need. He'll give you everything you need. Well, notice what Paul does next, because he's working through an airtight logic here, and he says, he gave us his only son. How will he not give everything graciously? Then he says in verse 33, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. And he's at the right hand of God who intercedes for us. Who is interceding for us. I want you to not miss the legal language that's happening in that verse. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? Well, obviously the devil wants to bring a charge against you. I mean, that's clear from Job 1 and 2. That's clear from Revelation chapter 12 and verse 8. We're going to see that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. So here's what happens. When you sin, whether it's in your mind, in your mouth, or in your hands, when you sin... Guilt and shame pour over you. It happened in the garden. It will happen every, to every person after that. When we sin, there's a desire to hide. That's what you were saying, Michael. But desire to cover up. Okay? Because covering up feels better than vulnerability and exposure. Right? And so Satan then comes in the midst of that and says, in first person, what a lousy piece of junk you are. I am. Apart from me, that's, that's usually how I said it. I was really 
convinced of this when I saw, I don't know if you guys saw this, I probably should mention it, but it, to me it just hit the chord where Will Smith made his public apology. I don't know if you guys saw that. And he said, I'm just trying to believe that I'm not a rotten piece of poop right now. And I thought, there's hope in that. Because you realize you've done wrong. And you feel ashamed of yourself. You're one step away. Just turn to Jesus because he can resolve that for you. So Satan accuses us of sin, and he doesn't do it without some measure of truth thrown into that lie. Guilty. We sin, we do wrong. He accuses you. And here's what Paul says. Just remember this. Anybody that tries to bring a charge against God's elect has to contend with the fact that Jesus has already paid their debt. So he can accuse... And maybe you accuse yourself. You ever done this? Really? I know God forgives me. I just can't forgive myself. Yeah. Hold on. You're now elevating your opinion and your stature over God, who has made a decision about you from eternity past. He's forgiven you in Christ. And he says, you could be accused all day long, but it would come to nothing. Because right next to the sin you committed is the merit and sacrifice of Jesus. And on the scales, this is way, way more heavy and substantial than anything in the sin of the world. So who can bring a charge against God's elect? No one. They can bring the charge, they'll get nowhere. Because Christ has died. And more than that, He was raised be one thing if he just died for our sins and stayed in the ground. Well, what good is that? He rose victorious over sin and death. And because of that, we can have hope. He's not only been raised, he's also seated at the right hand of God and he is praying for us. I don't know what he prays for me. I'd like to know what he prays for me. I don't know what words he says to the Father on my behalf. Might scare me to death some of the things Jesus prays for me. I don't know. You're like, oh, it might sound like, hey, leave me in this valley until you've accomplished what your will is for me. It might be, Father, I want you to just strengthen Robert, encourage Robert as he keeps going. Give him courage, give him faith. I don't know, but I know that he's praying for me and I know that he's praying for you. No charge will stand against you because no charge has the power and the merit to stop. Uh, Overcome the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. Friends, these are truths that whether or not you believe them, they're yours. See, one of the great hopes in church planting and the great hopes in preaching is that you'll actually believe the truth about you because of what Christ has done. And once you start to believe that truth, it changes your heart, it changes your affections. That these things are eternally true of you, whether you believe them or not. Now it's just, Lord, give me faith to believe what you've said. So that I can keep going when I want to quit. So that I can keep holding on and I can keep moving forward when I want to just say, okay, I'm, I'm tapped out. And guess what? Even if you do, he didn't. He didn't. He never tapped out. He never said, well, I'm done. He finished the work for us. Pray with me.